0: You're listening to Love of the Links Golf
1: Radio with your hosts, Brendan Elliott, Bob Baldessari, Andy Hydorn, and Chris Ray.
0: All right, Love of the Links Season season 4, Episode 3. Bobby, is it 3? Am I getting that number right?
2: I think we're on the front side somewhere, yeah. (laughs)
0: And we're very excited to have Miss Dottie Pepper with us uh, today. Uh, you know, I was reaching out to folks that we could get on this season and, and Dottie was always on the top of the list of people that I wanted to talk to based on interactions I had with her back in 2013 when herself, uh, me, Bobby, Elmer, and Nonsky were all on Morning Drive and, and Bobby didn't get a lot of FaceTime that episode. He was he was there on set. Definitely
1: there on the set. <laughs>
0: Dottie, welcome. We're, we're very you. excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you. We wanted to, what I really wanted to start out with was being a fellow New Yorker. I grew up a little south of Syracuse, about an hour south of Syracuse, close to Oneonta, New York. Okay. Um, and, and you're from the capital region, right? You grew up in Saratoga. Correct. Uh, what was it? Is Milton was the was the town that you grew up in?
1: I grew up in Wilton, but Milton, Milton. is another, I guess you could say suburb of Saratoga Springs. There is a uh, there's a Navy installation uh, okay. in that's uh, nuclear based. But my my little town, uh, same Saratoga Springs School District. Uh, but yes, yeah, so the town of, of Wilton, about uh, I guess three miles from downtown Saratoga to where I where I grew up.
0: When did you first put your hands on a golf club?
1: The summer I turned eight years old. I'm an, I'm an August baby, so it was uh, a, a midsummer sort of with my grandmother. She bought me a series of five lessons with a German professional that had come come through the area. A little bit of golf, but a lot of horse racing for him. So he was always up and around the area for the summer, and I, it was a series of five lessons. It was basically it was it was all about fundamentals. Yeah, putting your hands on the club properly being able to address the, the ball in a consistent manner um, and have a little bit of balance but I mean if you think about the golf clubs that I learned how to play with and they were it was a junior set purchased from a sporting goods store in Saratoga Springs it had a three iron in it wow <laughs> who the heck would put a three iron that looks like a honestly look like a butter knife they still have it downstairs uh, in a kid's hand three five seven nine iron and a driver, two a drive wood, and a, I don't know something else, but it was it wasn't exactly uh, I, I don't know. It, was not, it wasn't with a grow the game philosophy. Let's put it that way.
0: No, how would that make up?
1: <laughs> no.
2: Were you, hey, Dottie, were you more uh, the the range rat or more go play golf? And just the competitiveness that you've shown to me, it seems like you know, it just you would thrive on just playing the game.
1: I was i was a player more than i was a range rat uh because well i learned how to hit it pretty straight because our range was really skinny uh, and it and i couldn't even even as a kid at mcgregor links i couldn't hit it i don't know maybe four iron or a five wood or something that lengthwise there was not a driving range at brookhaven there was a place you could take a little bag of balls and bump your own and go pick them up so i didn't really have a choice but uh, even though my dad did end up having having a driving range for a bit i was i was a player rather than than a range rat the only reason i was at the range actually was to work and pick up golf balls because i had to i had to help the family business
2: i mean do you see that you know I, i've had some conversations with top 100 and then top of the top hundreds and my perspective growing up in the game second generation pga you know brennan and i have talked about it the the difference of the mechanics on the range and, and some of these players they have a lot of talent, but they get so caught up in that perfection versus getting in the hole, being competitive. And there's a big difference there.
1: I think part of it was the time we grew up in. Um, we didn't have all the technology to get super caught up in it. I mean, technology was a Polaroid. I mean, if you, if you caught it at just the right moment, and by the time I got to college at Furman, we did have some video capability, but it was it was, was clumpy clunky. It was cumbersome. And I just remember thinking every time I saw myself on video, God, you look so fat. What the heck am I doing? Why am I watching this? (laughs) So I I really wasn't, uh, (laughs) I wasn't super caught up in, in a lot of that. And when I did dip my toe a little too deep in the water, I got burned just about every time.
0: Was there a point in coming up as a junior golfer that you felt this is something that I can do for a living? Do you remember that specific time?
1: Um, yeah, I, I, I do. And my parents were definitely realists about the whole thing because I also thought I could be a champion downhill skier too. So, you know, I, 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 I had all the 12, or 12 months covered as far as sports goes. But uh, yeah, I, I was probably 13, 14 years old. And I do remember uh, writing a book report on Nancy Lopez's book. And thinking, I can do that. I was pretty inspired by by that book as as a kid. And I remember going to JC Penny and getting my first um, first real golf shirt. Had the, had, remember JC Penny had the fox on it. And I remember being so proud. I, I had a pink one, that was so cool. I looked like a real golfer. So yeah, I was, I was my, in my early teens.
0: And there there was no girls team back then. You you played with you played on the boys team, right?
1: We didn't have a girls team until two years ago at Saratoga High School. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. and we didn't have, well, yeah, two and a half years ago. I guess if you count COVID, I guess about two and a half years now. Uh, we didn't even have a Section 2 girls championship where they could qualify to go to the state championship. Wow. This was just the second time they played that last month. So we've been a little lagging behind in this area. Uh, but I played against the guys, and frankly, I, I benefited from it. But not every not every young girl is going to – I think the self-confidence, the strength, all of that, uh, frankly, and support from their family and and coaches and athletic directors to play on the boys team. But I I was, I was really fortunate in in that regard.
0: You know, since we're talking about that, that was one of the things I had written down that I was really looking forward to talking to you about is what, we, we see all the stats from the NGF and, and the women's sector of the game is growing, you know, a lot. I think a lot of what Augusta national has done with the women's amateur and a lot of other things that have happened have helped significantly, yeah. but what, what's your take on the women's game now and have we made progress and what, what's things looking like, you know, down the road for, for women's golf.
1: Well, I, I think, and Bob, I, I think maybe you might remember that when I was on the board, I, I just, people would always ask me why, what as a woman, what should I, what should I, should I expect? And I, and I would always answer if there's a need uh, or a want that you have, I would expect you to, to voice that to your golf professional. Uh, if you go into a grocery store and you don't see something that you have to have or need on the shelf, you're going to ask for it. Why would you not do that of your golf professional or your general manager? Or whoever happens to be running your facility. If you think it's going to better your club, better your facility, better the experience for everybody, why wouldn't you ask for a for a teaching professional who's a female? Why wouldn't you ask to start a women's league? But I think the important thing is to not go in there as the whiny woman, go in there with a plan. Why it's going to benefit uh, to get more women involved in it in, in the club, in the facility. What what can we bring for everybody to make this a better place? And and I, I think women are, tend to be uh, either um, a little hesitant or just not prepared to say why, it, why it's such a good idea. Uh, I think we've made great strides. And I, I think it's another one of those COVID silver linings that everybody wanted to get out and play yeah. golf because it was safe and it was social. And it's, it's, it's bad on us if we don't, we don't continue this because golf has been one of those winners through, through the last couple of years.
2: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think uh, it's rare in my golf shop. I see a lady come in alone. They're always in groups right. and they, they want to feel safe. And most instruction I've done it seems to be I do a lot of individual, but uh, I'm a big believer in the clinic and the group. And the guys don't like to do that as much as the, the ladies. do. And I know this sounds crazy, but I, I want my facility to be a safe facility. And people are going to be like falling down getting hurt. I said, no, it's a, it's a feeling. It's an acceptance. It's a welcoming, safe environment.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. But, and and you're happy to teach the culture as well as teach the golf swing.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's, to me, that's one of the most important things. I mean, I deal with children. That's a big part of what I do with my business. Mm -hmm. And one of the objections, I guess you could say, of starting kids at the younger ages, like we do, that I would hear from older professionals was, you know, you, you can't do this or you can't do that because they're too young. We were never at the ages of three and four and five teaching hardcore fundamentals of the golf swing. It's, it's about getting them immersed into golf. And, the, and that's what builds the, the, the building blocks of making them golfers. And it's the same thing with women. It's, intimid, it's an intimidating sport for anybody, um, but the way it's been unwelcoming for a long time in the history of our game, you know, and unless you can walk in someone's shoes that has that intimidation when they walk into a golf shop, you'll you'll just never know.
1: It's, it's, it's so true. Uh, I, I used to do some MasterCard clinics when I was still playing on tour, and they were they were a fantastic sponsor. And one of the things that they tried to do is bring, make that crossover from uh, women's executives in the banking and finance world into golf. And among the things I thought was one of the coolest they did was that when they brought people to the facility for this, for this day of golf, really from a clinic that I would do, um, drive through the cocktail party at the end of the day, they gave them good golf shoes. <laughs> so they didn't have poor footwear to wear all day. Start out not having bad stuff on your feet. I, I, you know, I, I showed up in heels, I forgot my, it, whatever it might be. So it was, it was literally built from the ground up and it was brilliant.
2: That's a good point. That's sort of like like John Wooden at UCLA. Learn how to put your socks on, tie your shoes, you know, the basic of the basics. Um, yeah. You know, it's. Uh, I want to transition a little bit here, Dottie. You know, just look at your career and what you've done. I think your next phase will be like an action hero. I don't know what's left for you to do.
1: <laughs> maybe sleep, maybe that's what I'll do next.
2: <laughs> I mean, you know, to have the amateur career, professional career, major champion career, author, The TV work you do—I mean, you're leaving a hell of a legacy. Can we say that on the podcast, Brennan? I mean, just a a wicked, a wicked hell of a (laughs) legacy, and and you've already written books and did in the bogey, which I was honored to play bogey. That's my only (laughs) acting career. But now, now the latest, your latest book, which I think is really, really, really—it's almost emotional to me reading and, and seeing what you put together here and. It's so unique. It's so different. I've written some of my students' notes. I've had notes written, but but I was struck by how much how detailed you have on what Mr. Pulver sent you.
1: Yeah, it was detailed, I think, in, in both directions, especially as I I'm I really shared a lot of my um, the things that I was experiencing emotionally and competitively. Um, things that I call golf course management being in the moment of, of competition itself, knowing when you when you kind of had somebody playing match play, if you noticed a difference in their cadence or the difference in their emotions or whatever it might be. And I, I shared a lot of that with him and, but he, he also thought it was really important for me uh, to to look at the best players, to figure out what little bits they might do just that much better that I could maybe, um, I don't want to say you want to steal it, but you want to, you want to pay attention to it so that you know where you can get better. But he also was so uh, freely giving of, understanding the players that that he tried to emulate, the players that he looked up to, male and female, and, and gave me reading assignments, books that are still downstairs. When he passed, I got a portion of his library that the family gifted to me. And uh, those things, those things never go out of, out of style. Um, and they're certainly not just a, a gimmick. It, it, those are always, always there. And I think that's what we shared a lot of it, that the evergreen ideas of of being resilient, of being prepared, right down to I remember him asking me if I had a good umbrella and extra, you know, extra extra gloves and and uh, towels packed. I mean, you need to be prepared to play well and play well. You know, growing up in in upstate New York or in New England, you're going to play in some lousy weather and cold yeah. starts and stops and starts with thump, summer thunderstorms. Just how to be prepared so that anything that's thrown at you can can be something that you can deal with in a positive manner. So. The letters were very, very detailed. I, don't, I didn't realize uh, until really the, the hardest part of the lockdowns here in upstate New York that he had saved all of my letters. I had been given a, a folder with his cutout things from various golf magazines so that were very mechanical, very detailed. He didn't really want me diving in there. So that, that folder was given to me by his son before his son passed away and the process of trying to start this book to try to put the sub this down on paper trying to get some sort of format i discovered that folder and i thought after 35 years it was okay to see what this forbidden because it just it just said golf articles on it well i guess it's okay to open those and read those now because he didn't want me getting too too lost in all the sauce and what I discovered in there was exactly what I thought I'd find, Bob, and it was articles going back to 1966. They were wow. underlined, uh, things written in the margin, scratched here, or there, agree or not agree. But I also found in that same folder every letter I wrote to him. So my whole idea of having a booklet of his letters just blown up—now we had a lot more content and a lot more depth. And um, I'm, I'm glad I, glad I went to the detail.
2: I mean, so that was it was more than golf instruction. It was a life path or helping you live your life. And I mean, that's what that's the great teachers, the great individuals, the Harvey Penix, the the people like that, like Mr. Pover. It's way more than golf.
1: That's exactly right. I mean, he didn't have a degree as a life coach, but today he probably would have been qualified for it. He really, and he, he did that with a lot of his students. I, I've met people along the way that are now in their in their 60s and their 70s and said, oh, I, I took lessons from George Pulver. And it wasn't just about golf. It was about, you know, just about the details, about finishing a project, about, about being committed to doing something and doing it right from the fundamentals, not just about golf, but everything else.
0: You know, as coaches, we hope that we can have some kind of impact that goes beyond the game. And it's, yeah. it's pretty obvious that that was the relationship that you guys had.
1: Yeah. he was also Brendan really big into education. Um, all three of his kids went on to advanced degrees and he had a, a, his middle daughter played college golf in Texas when no girls played college golf. So she was sort of a frontier person on, in, on that regard. Um, but he just believed that education and curiosity were paramount to success and just keep looking and, and trying to make yourself better and keep asking questions and, and be um, be enthusiastic about learning.
2: And hey, Dottie, where do you think your career, maybe life goes without a Mr. Pulver there? Mm.
1: Oh gosh, I, you know, I did not even thought about it, but I don't think it'd be where it is right now. <laughs> no question. And, you know, the great thing was that it wasn't just Mr. Pulver. I had a relationship with his wife before she passed. I actually competed against her in, in local women's tournaments. But I've, since then, I've, I still have a relationship with the two girls that are still alive. Um, George Jr. has been gone about seven years now, but I still have a relationship, and I hear from them weekly, if not more often than that, with Jean, who's 91, living in Juneau Beach, and Madeline's, who's now 86, and living outside Washington, D.C., it's, it's been an amazing life story.
0: You yourself, have you found uh, throughout your career mentoring uh, women as they come up through the game in a similar fashion?
1: I have. Um, there's been a couple of, couple of players that uh, have reached out for, for some help and guidance. A couple that went to Furman or you know just starting their professional career. One a young Korean girl who was was a very successful amateur player, Jimin Kang. She's now teaching. Uh, she was outside Columbus and um, came, well, once her family moved from Korea, they settled in Seattle, but she and I have remained close. Um, first thing she came to me for was a putting lesson, and it turned into a much, much bigger thing than that. Uh, now, in the, the world that I live in now and in, in television, I was so lucky to have an intern dumped in my lap i i hadn't been with cbs for five months and i had had an intern by the name of mk rotenberry i come from abilene christian her ultimate goal is to be a sideline reporter in the nfl but she she was my intern and as it turns out i had so much faith in her and we had have have such a great relationship that she really art she was the architect of the timeline in the book so she was involved in in the book as well and she got to know the family so it's um it's been remarkable to see her growth over these last six years um, and, and just the way she has learned from Mr. Pulver through this project, not just from me.
2: You know, Doug, were, were there, I don't know, one or two or three things that you talked to Mr. Pulver about when you were a youth golfer that continued through your career? He might have passed uh, passed on, but it could have been in an LPGA championship and you were thinking is a ball position. Is it whatever? Just Oh a small yeah, thing.
1: absolutely. He was always really big on speed over line when it came to putting. Um, and he, you know, go through the book. He's constantly talking about working on your lag putting and, and, and minimizing mistakes. He mm-hmm. was always huge on that. Golf course management was a big thing for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think, um, preparations and, and having a routine was important not so much nearly your pre-shot routine but your day-to-day routine so that you arrived at the tee on hurry that you were in order that you had your equipment ready the night before so there were just weren't yep. any big surprises um, and if you did have a surprise you could handle it so he, he was really really big on those three things
0: it's interesting is you know we've become more and more Technical and rely on technology in coaching and instruction. It always seems to come back to instructors <laughs> like this. Or Harvey Penick's books are sitting right next to me on my bookshelf, and yeah. you know that's the essence of the game. That's what makes. That's what separates, in my mind, the people to become champions on tour like yourself or a Tiger Woods. Those are the little things that you really need to try to instill as a coach in your students, and that's obviously what he did for you.
1: You know, that's part of why I had Kathy Whitworth write the the forward to the book, because of, of Harvey's influence on her, on, on Crenshaw, on Kite, uh, so many players in, in that area. But it was also to try to put more emphasis on what, what she's done as a player, because I think there's been so much emphasis on Tiger and Sneed, until Tiger got hurt, of course. But nobody realizes that for every key on a piano, Kathy Whitworth had an LPGA win. Yep. So I, I thought it, it was a it was a great way to try to um, just put a little more of a spotlight on what she's done and just how amazing she was as a player um, and continues to be. Her influence with her Kathy Whitworth Invitational and what she does every time you think about the great players and and nobody talks about wit, I go wait 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 <laughs> you, know, you got to complete that sentence. You got to complete that uh, complete that list.
2: Yeah. Hey, Johnny, you know, you're lately been with CBS and covering the game inside the ropes and the the men's tour. And, but for the average golfer, quote unquote, that would be listening to this, if they're watching the LPGA, the PGA tour, what do you think they can take away from inside the ropes with the players these days?
1: I think it's the precision that, that they are able to uh, really rely on. You know, I, I remember early on in my my playing career being with Lynn Adams Lynn could smoke it I mean she could hit it so hard and she hit a she had a going fade that was just it was it was a beautiful thing to watch She was a great athlete and Lynn hit a shot off the first tee at at Rochester and this ball looked like it looked like a dead duck in the air I mean it just it barely got airborne and it was you know one one wing was was flying underneath and to the right golf ball was unwound you never see that anymore. I mean, things are so tightly um, you know, as they come off the production line, there's there's no wiggle room for anything weird to happen. I remember having a, a set of irons that had bad epoxy. with the tournament of champions, and I went out there three clubs late because three of them broke on the range. Yeah, okay. you know, just bizarre things like that that you just don't see anymore. Things are so so tight and people know exactly how far things slide, partly because of the technology, partly because of repetition, partly because there's just there's so little variation within a set of shafts, within a within a million golf balls, <laughs> and any any club that you put in your bag. It's been, been tested to the nth degree. So there's no element of surprise. So I think that's that is that is very obvious when you're inside the ropes. And I think the other thing too is that while that might be real snugged up, you also see a lot of really bad golf shots.
2: Yeah, <laughs> really bad
1: golf shots, and it's okay because they find a way to put a scorecard, uh, put a pencil on the scorecard without a without a big number on it.
0: That was a discussion I just had with a junior and his father this past weekend. You know, they, they these kids look up to, and rightfully so they look up to the tour professionals. Um, I said, but what you see on TV is usually the the people that are in contention. You right. don't see the bad shots and they're out there. Trust me, they're out there. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, and all you gotta do is go to the range um, beginning of the week, Thursday, Friday. See who's on the range on Saturday that missed the cut on Friday. You'll see some bad stuff there too. <laughs> it, it's not all perfect and it's not all pretty.
2: Yeah, Donnie, it's funny. I um, I caddied in the, I forget the name of it, but at front cross country Club outside of Boston, there was an <laughs> LPG tournament every year.
1: Absolutely.
2: Boston five classic. That was it. Yeah. So uh, my dad thought it was a good idea that I would caddy, get some inside the ropes. Um, so I had three really good players over the three years I caddied. One of them, one time we were on the seventh hole at Ferncroft and I learned a real good lesson because the, the lady said to me, uh, what do we have? And I said, uh, it's about 140, 141. And I was trying to figure out and she goes, well, what is it? 140 or
1: 141 yeah there's a there's a story about arnold palmer with a similar situation um and he said, young man i can do about i want to know what it is <laughs> <laughs> there's also that that very same um same golf course at ferncraft i remember hitting the ball i, I want to say it was either the seventh or eighth hole and i had driven the ball on the fairway it was so deep in a divot that I actually checked out because I just didn't know which way it was going to go coming out of this divot. It was bad, really bad.
0: What's and the fondest I, memory on of of all the accomplishments you had as a player? What's what's the most fondest memory for you?
1: I'm not just saying this because of Bob's New England connections, but my my favorite, I well I, yeah, I think it was memory, but certainly my favorite win was in '95 at Stratton Mountain. Um, I, it was it came down to me and Pat Bradley. She had her clan from Boston and from Woodstock, Vermont, and I had mine and it It was one of those cold, rainy, midsummer days. I don't think it was 55 degrees. I had a turtleneck on. The mittens came, were on and off. It was just a disgusting day. Came down to the two of us and I played a brilliant back nine, but it was the only time my parents ever saw me win a professional golf tournament. They were still working and it was close. And there were so many friends and family there from Saratoga Springs. my assistant professional at McGregor was then now the head professional at Stratton Mountain. So it was a blowout of of a win and a party afterward. I still have have the trophy right here, and I can promise you there were there was a a, a lot of beverages that were consumed out of that chalice that night.
2: <laughs> yeah, there was. Uh... I mean, it, it, there's a lot of passionate fans there in New in the England. So you're but up in there. You, you get
1: it. Yeah. It was great. It was great.
2: You know, I was, I
0: told you before we went on air that I was doing some research before we talked to you today. And there's an episode of uh, Antique Roadshow that you were on. And <laughs> and you had the Solheim Cup, one of the original Solheim Cups, correct?
1: That's right in the office, yeah.
0: And and I see the poster behind you. That's a Solheim Cup poster, I believe. How? Important. Oh,
1: that, that's an SP. Oh, ESPY. Oh my goodness, I got Johnny Miller crooked. Sorry, uh, yeah, was... <laughs> lady came and clean today. She did. She did a worse job than I did as far as getting things back up right. Sorry about that. No, that's the original ESPY. So I, it was Fred Couples and myself were the original ESPY winners. Yes,
0: I remember. Coming that. off
1: '92, so it was in January of '93, uh, down in New York City at the at the Paramount, right next to Madison Square Garden. That was it. Was it was pretty cool. Was, so Dennis Miller wore my dress by the end of the night on the air. <laughs> that's right. But, it, but more so, it was it was the Jimmy V speech. Jimmy V,
0: yes. right.
1: Yes, yep.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, you know, mentioning the, the Solheim Cup, how how much does team golf mean to you?
1: It means a lot to me. I mean, I, I had the opportunity to play on that very first Solheim Cup. I mean, the, the, the cup's right there. So there were only nine of them made for each side, eight players and the captain, eight players and the captain, and then the Solheim Cup that you see now that they still compete for, that same piece of cut glass, uh, Waterford, um, and then they destroyed the mold of the small of, of them. So that's it. So that's why the that's why that value in antique road saw knocked my socks off. I was like, what? <laughs> but there was it was the first, yeah. and there were many of them. So that that's why uh, that turns out to be what what it was. Um, but team golf meant it meant a lot to me. We had a very strong team at Furman when I when I went to college. We lost the national championship. My Senior year graduation day by one shot to San Jose State. Um, That hurt. That hurt a lot. But also played on the 1986 Curtis Cup. Mm -hmm. And we got waxed. And we had all rookies on the team. And I don't think any of us appreciated what the Curtis Cup was, uh, what a privilege it was to play for your country, how much it would mean to you personally when you looked back on that week on that experience. And that really set my, I think my attitude and my, my passion for team golf going forward of being part of the Solheim Cup and really wanting to be part of that first one <clears throat> in 1990 was that lousy experience of, of playing poorly and just not being prepared. Now, none of us were prepared
2: mm-hmm. for
1: what, what happened at, uh, at Prairie Dunes. Golf course was hard. Competition was harder.
2: The the, um, the international growth of golf. I mean that yeah. that's to make you you know sit back and go wow look what's happened from when you were a youth player getting on tour and now what's happening around the world. We we don't have to touch on what's happening with this new tour uh, with Mr. Norman, but I mean just sitting back and seeing over your career the growth is going to be amazing.
1: Yeah, that, that first Korean win on the LPGA tour came at my expense. Thanks for bringing that up, Bob. <laughs> I didn't
2: want to go there. No. <laughs> oh, he made a putt at the last hole in Phoenix
1: in 1989, uh, 1988. So you, what else you want to know? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, We're not going to go it,
1: it is truly. And, and you go back. Okay. You talk about Norman when 94, proposing the world tour. The LPGA was a world tour way before that. Sure. Yeah. And and you know, this is this is old stuff, but it's new stuff.
2: Comes around, goes around, type of thing. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's just, I I think the stakes are bigger. There are more people with more money in with their hands in the pot, and um, golf's big time. It's it's it, it may have been a niche sport, but it's it's changing big time.
2: You know, when the, when the, you know, I, my career is, you know, getting to know you when I was at PJ headquarters doing my, my youth golf thing. And thank you again for being a speaker at our youth summit. That was awesome. You were the keynote uh Brennan. I think you were there. That yep. was fantastic. Um, you know, it's, I'm back into the green grass, uh, doing what I'm doing now. And when there's people in the golf shop, I find myself doing commentary when I'm looking at the TV and, uh, <laughs> i'm in there and saying you know hey look at this shot and um i really appreciate i, I think because of your background how you articulate yeah. a shot nope. what the player has faced um you know i know some years ago i used to look at people and say that's really not a chip shot they're about 80 yards away but the announcer's yeah. chip. it's really not a chip it's a
1: shot. wedge. because
2: <laughs> i'm out there trying to explain difference of uh, the different shots but uh you know, I just personally appreciate how you come at that, uh, the, I guess, how you observe out there and how you tell the story. You
1: know, I, I started doing this in, two, well, full time, the end of 2004. And by the time 2005 came, I was starting to do Thursday Fridays for USA, uh, the PGA Tour coverage. And Tommy Roy was producing those, Tommy Roy from NBC. And we spent a lot of time watching a lot of film. Whether it was mine or other people's, and he also, so you you didn't fall into bad ticks. You learned the timing. You learned the cadence of of your other announcers. Um, You learned other other parts of being an announcer. So you weren't just a walking announcer. I I I was in the 18th tower when there was when the girls were on. I did the outer tower on some cable shows early. Certainly early on the U.S. Opens, you were you wore a lot of hats and that that was great. And I think it made you it made you um, more versatile. But Tommy always said he wants you to talk about this as you you saw it as a player. Yeah. Well that's a pretty pretty freeing thought, isn't it? So this is this is how I would look at a shot, how I would process the information to create that shot. So what, what are you taking in? You're taking in the yardage, you're taking out how far it is to carry that bunker, how much there is along that flag stick. Um, where's the wind coming from all of these sorts of things and you try to say that in a concise manner and then get the heck out of there so people can watch the good guys play
0: did you see yourself in that role after your playing career
1: i think i saw it myself in that role even before then i remember playing and a couple of the silly season events, but they'd sit you down with the fireside chat and Judy Rankin was one of those asking the questions and she said, one of the questions that was asked was, after your career is done, what would you like, what what, what do you see yourself doing, what would you like to do, and I said Judy I want your job. <laughs> <laughs> and and she's, she still gives me a hard time, she goes you know what you got my job, but I never, I never got to do sports center at the master's. And I certainly never got to walk live golf at the master's center. <laughs> she, she um, she's been amazingly supportive, but that was, yeah, I, I wanted Judy Rankin's job and I got it.
0: Yeah. You know, it's always struck me from the first time I met you back when we did that taping at the golf channel, Kelly Tillman was asking you during that interview, you were, you were stepping away from, um, mm-hmm. from broadcasting. And, and you're getting into working on the book uh, with Bogey, which comes from life experiences as you growing up as a kid, too. And you got emotional in that interview. And that's what struck me most about how passionate you are about anything that you've ever done in the game, playing, broadcasting, working with children, writing books. That shows that you are deep down in your gut you are a golfer you are a passionate person and and i appreciate that very much about you
1: thank you i also brendan i didn't know how to study to make anything less than an a so i think that's part of it too (laughs) i had the hardest time the the two pass fail courses i had through my my whole four years at Furman, you had the option for two The other ones nearly about flunked me out because i didn't know how to study just to get by i didn't know how
2: I, we can't leave without just even just one comment on our favorite football team, can we? Oh geez.
1: Oh my gosh. They're back. <laughs> How about I mean that that was a thumping yesterday. Yeah. That was I, I think I've been, you know, following. I'm sorry. Oh look at Brendan. Oh okay, I can't take uh, watching Mac Jones. I mean, he's as hard on himself, I think, as Brady was when he didn't perform well. And he expected himself to come in and I think it to be very seamless. And now it seems like things are starting to roll. Um all the the coordinated comp the communication and the timing, all of that that seemed to be just a little bit off at the very beginning. Um so, and somehow I think that Dallas loss really was it was almost like it was that was almost a good thing.
2: Yeah. You know, he made a comment about their practice is getting so much better and the way they practice is getting better relates to the game, such a symmetry to golf in that regard too.
1: Just to say, I mean, the closer you can make practice to what happens on the golf course, because, because really what is, if you're doing a drill, say you're doing the three foot, five foot, seven foot drill putting, What what really is that last seven footer if you're trying to make three in a row from each? That seven footer is every putt when you're in competition so if if you've done it in practice if it becomes part of part of your dna of preparation then why the heck not i've always i've already done this now it's just time to fine-tune and tell myself i can do this again i've already done it
2: you know i I think people talk about belichick's not a nice guy i think he's super nice he let the nfl have a nice year last year (laughs) now we're off (laughs) now we're back
1: the, 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 I, I, but, uh, but I will say, uh, this next month, with the Buffalo Bills coming up twice in a three or four game stretch, mm-hmm. awesome. there is a bye week in there. But but I'm, I'm sorry, Brenda, this is probably painful, isn't it? No, it's fine.
2: <laughs> we hijacked the show.
1: We're coming into a really big stretch. So we're, we're on, I'm not putting my party hat on yet.
2: <laughs> this episode uh, will be
0: popular up in uh, New England. So <laughs> got that going for us. <laughs> Love it. Dottie, if, if before we before we check off, um, where can people find out more uh, about the book? Where can they purchase the book? Uh, anything else you want to promote before we uh, sign off here?
1: No, oh, I, I, you can go directly to my website, DottiePepper.net, and purchase it there. Um, it's in enough if you're in Upstate New York. It's in the North Shire Bookstore in Saratoga Springs. If you're in the villages in Florida, it's at the Barnes and Noble there, where I'll be down there. march to do a book signing on the friday of the arnold palmer event uh what else can i tell you there's an audio book coming out so if you're not a big reader uh, we are in the final stages that's all all the raw files are uploaded and and we'll be starting to do the final edits for that hopefully if all things go well it will be out for holiday if not certainly by the time we go uh, live back with with the cbs schedule the third week of of january so there's there's a lot going on uh, Mm -hmm. but I'm a little small business with a little tiny website, and I, it was just sort of a tribute to Mr. Pulver because I think he would have, he would have kept it small and personal and, and, you know, there that I write notes in him if he wants it signed or whatever it is, that's, that's how we're doing it and it's, it's one book at a time kind of preaching the gospel of all.
2: Awesome. It's a way to do it. Yeah, it's uh, somewhere Mr. Pulver smiling down for a long time with what you've done. Carry on his legacy.
1: I think you'd have been horribly
0: embarrassed, but too bad. <laughs> Daddy, I'll come see you at the villages. My parents live there, so I'll pop in for that book. Excellent. For sure. That'd be great. That'd be great. Again, thanks so much for being on. Uh, we really appreciate it. Bob and I were really excited to have you on this episode. Uh, folks, this will be uh, this is recorded, so obviously this isn't live. We'll get it all edited, put together. Uh, the video portion will be on all of our social media. Uh, on YouTube and the audio portion will be any place that you consume your podcast. So once again, Dottie, we appreciate your time. Bobby, love having you on here with us. As I always say, you're a great partner in crime, my friend.
2: We'll tee it up again soon. Thank you so much, Dottie. Thanks Thanks, guys. guys. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening to Love of the Links Golf Radio. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Our website is littlelinksers.com backslash love. You can email us at loveofthelinks at gmail.com.